Well, good morning. Thank you. I tend to say thank you a lot. I like, I like some feedback in the morning. Uh, if you would, if you have a Bible, uh, if you would turn uh, with me to John chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, there are plenty in the pews in front of you. Uh, black ESV translation, which is what I will be reading from this morning. And today we're going to be in verses 41 through 59. We're going to be continuing in uh, the bread of life discourse. Uh, we're going to be in, in this discourse for three weeks. This is week two. Last week, Bill introed it, um, which was incredible. We got to see that Jesus uh, introduces himself as the bread of life. Um, and just a couple of reminders before, we, before I read the text. One is... This is the first of, of seven I am statements that Jesus delivers throughout the Gospel of John. We're going to get to all the other ones. The, I'm the door of the sheep. I'm the light of the world. I'm the great shepherd. I'm the true vine. Um, but this, this is the first one. And I know all of us sitting here, we have a Bible and we can flip through, but the disciples and the Jews during this day, they didn't, they didn't know it was coming. This is the first time Jesus says, I am. I am bread of life. Kind of flip their worlds upside down. And he doesn't start off with an easy one, right? We know from the text that uh, it doesn't say they all understood it perfectly, and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, you're the bread of life, we get it, uh, we come to you for eternal life. No, I don't want to steal the thunder for next week, but all the way in verse 66, it's so eye-opening. John tells us that as a result of Jesus revealing that he's the bread of life, he writes, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. This was a hard saying. Not only was it hard, but they didn't like it. How do, how do we do this? We can't do this. So they turned away and no longer walked with him. And If I'm being honest, maybe on a little bit lighter note, I struggle with Jesus as the bread of life. Because when my wife makes sourdough bread, that's bread of life. <laughs> that stuff is amazing. But we'll, we'll see. And Jesus reminded me this week that I'm wrong, and the bread of life certainly is greater than any sourdough or fresh loaf, any gluten-free option there is out there. The bread of life trumps all that. So today we pick up with specifically the Jewish uh, leader's response to Jesus' claim. And if you would look with me uh, at verse 41 of John chapter 6. There goes a the battery. So the Jews grumbled about him. Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is, this, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. 
so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Now, I don't uh, really consider myself um, as, a, as much of a history buff, uh, especially compared to my wife. She knows history a lot more than I do. But I'm, I'm coming along. I love reading books about military, about war, um, Googling random things. And it's really fun to read about the strategies and the, and the battles um, and the fighting. We think about that a ton, but we don't really think about the mundane things soldiers do before or during battle, like eating. I mean, who sits there and thinks, I wonder what the soldiers at D-Day ate before they stormed the beaches? Who thinks of that? Well, I do, and I googled it because I was very interested. And I saw one interview of a British soldier. He said, we woke up at about 3 or 4 a.m., and we had eggs and bacon, and they had coffee. He said, we had a normal breakfast. Imagine this, they're on a, they're on a ship. He said, we, we ate eggs and bacon, and then we went down, and we manned our equipment, and we prepared. And we waited. Now, of course, this isn't the only meal they had throughout the entire war. Soldiers, depending on what type of soldier they were, they were given what was called either K-rations or C-rations. And this is what they kept on their person. And these rations totaled about 3,600 calories. Imagine being called to fight but not having any sustenance in your system leading up to the battle or even during the battle. I'm not sure about you, but I wouldn't want to live in a country where soldiers fighting for me didn't eat before battle. I'd want them to be strong. And I want to propose that the same is required for those who claim to follow Jesus. And the food, instead of K rations or C rations, is the food is the bread of life. And instead of waging war on flesh and blood, we wage war on sin and death. And there's a battle going on between our spirit and our flesh. And we see from this text that we're called to feed on Jesus, who is the bread of life. So here kind of the main point that I want to introduce is, is this, that feeding on the bread of life, who we'll find out is Jesus Christ, is a spirit-enabling daily necessity which allows us to fight temptation and to destroy the poisonous idols that are in our hearts. 
feeding on the bread of life is a spirit-enabling daily necessity which allows us to fight temptation and destroy the poisonous idols of our hearts. Feeding on Jesus opens our eyes to the grace of God. While we'll see in this text a lot of grumbling. Grumbling prohibits us from seeing Jesus for who he really is. Grumbling prohibits us from seeing Jesus and how he calls us to live. So as we dive into this text, the passage uh, really breaks down naturally into two parts. They sort of mirror each other. Verses 41 to 51 is the first part, and then verses 52 to 58 is the second part. And each, each section starts with the Jews grumbling, and then it goes to a question that they ask, they pose to Jesus, and then Jesus gives his response. And I'm going to mention grumbling quite a bit, but the point for today is not don't grumble. Of course we shouldn't grumble. That's, Paul even says that in one of his letters. But that's not the point today. You see, grumbling is actually a symptom of a deeper disease. Grumbling is a heart condition. When we examine our heart, our deepest desires tend to surface. The fourth century theologian, um, Augustine, puts it best. He says, Our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. That is, we have these desires that if they're not met, we remain restless our whole lives unless we look to Jesus. So look with me at verse 41. We're, we're introduced to the, to the first reason uh, for the Jews' initial grumbling. Because of what Jesus said in verse, in verse 38, right? Look at verse 41. The Jews grumbled and, uh, because, because Jesus said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And this, this leads to their question. They say, is not this Jesus? Who's, don't we know this guy's parents? He was born to, his, he's the son of Joseph, and he's from Nazareth. Like, we, we know, we've heard of this guy. How does he say he's from heaven? What's so special about him? In other words, who does he think he is? The 19th century uh, English bishop, J.C. Ryle, says this about the Jews' inability to understand this statement from Jesus. He says, Jesus' lowly condition is a stumbling block to the natural man. Think about that. Jesus' lowly condition is a stumbling block to the natural man. Paul actually says something very similar in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verse 23. He writes, but we preach Christ crucified. He says the, the Greeks uh, seek wisdom and the Jews seek signs, right? But he says, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to both Jews and Greeks. I promise I'm not going to quote 20 more people, but John Piper puts it this way. He says, they the Jews question Jesus' claim to be the bread of heaven because their perceptions, listen, their perceptions and their reasonings were rising up to resist what Jesus was teaching them. And this helps us understand why Jesus responds how he does in verses 44 through 46. So we're getting to Jesus' response now. The Jews say, we know you. How are you special? How are you from heaven? And Jesus says this, look in verse, in verse uh, 43. He says, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. 
Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. What, what Jesus is saying here is this. No one can come to me by their own reasoning, by their own will, by their own common sense. This doesn't mean there's not any benefit in reason or science or the logical component of our faith. That's not what I'm saying at all. What it means is that the Father, the Father is who provides the decisive impulse to come to Christ. He's the one who plants the impulse in our heart to come to Jesus. Jesus is saying, if you had learned from the Father, you would come to me. Excuse me. There it goes. Everybody watch it. He says, if you had learned from my Father, you would come to me. And the only reason you would come to me is if you learn from the Father. Which is why the Jews reject Jesus in the first place, because they rejected the true Father. And you know who their real Father is, according to Jesus? We'll get there in John 8. I bet Bill's looking forward to this one. Jesus says, your Father is the devil. That's not a very light statement. The Jews actually think Abraham is their father, but Jesus said, no, he's not your father because you don't do the works that Abraham did. Namely, what work? Believing. Be- Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Jesus says, you're not doing the works Abraham did. You're doing the works of the devil. And why, why am I saying all this? It's Because Jesus is using Jewish Old Testament terminology. He's flipping the Old Testament on their head to prove to them that they're completely lost about who he is. They're completely lost. They're still grumbling just like their ancestors did in the wilderness. Go read Numbers 11. We don't have time to read it all this morning, but they grumbled because God wasn't providing food for them. He sent them manna, and then he sent them a whole bunch of meat. Too, Too much meat. It was coming out of their nostrils. That's disgusting. They're still grumbling They're doing what their fathers did. They're so caught up in the law and they misunderstand who Jesus is and and his gracious invitation that says, come to me, I'm the bread of life. I'll give you eternal life. I mean, think about how often we do this. We grumble and it leads to more grumbling. We grumble because of what we think God should be like. What we think we deserve. What we think we're entitled to. We grumble because we're not content with what God has given us. And the irony in all of this actually is found in Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3. When the Lord, through Moses, reminds the Israelites that man shall not live on bread alone. Deuteronomy 8 3, he fed you with manna that he might make you know that man shall not live on bread alone. But by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord... The Israelites were never meant to live on just manna. Manna pointed something greater. It pointed to the Father. It pointed ultimately to Jesus. It seems uh, a little cruel for Jesus to just point out their lostness and move on, but he doesn't move on. He's not finished. He reminds them in verse 47. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Whoever, whoever believes has eternal life. Whoever means the Jews right there, us, his disciples, anybody 
Anybody can come to Jesus. That's all it takes is belief that he is Savior and Lord. See, Jesus' desire is for those whom he created to follow him, to recognize that he is the bread of life. And in verse 51, he takes it a step further. Look at me at verse 51. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Listen to this part. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is what? It's my flesh. We need to hang on to this verse because it's going to be important for our second section here in a second. What Jesus does is he answers their question of, who are you, man? Who, you're from heaven? We know your parents. And he says, I'm the bread of life who has come to provide eternal life for you. Jesus is the bread of life. As we see in verse 52, the grumbling and disputing and arguing continues because, well, it's the Jews and that's what they like to do. They like to grumble at Jesus. If anybody thinks you're the only one that thinks you, uh, you gr- grumbling leads to more grumbling, you're not alone. It's here in the Bible too. And the second question comes because of what Jesus says in verse 51. So the Jews grumble again and they say, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? In other words, not only does this guy claim he's from heaven, but now he's telling us to eat his flesh. I don't like where this is going. This is what they're thinking. Maybe we should just stop here and pray. Eat my flesh. What in the world? Things are really taking a turn here. Instead of Jesus saying, okay, okay, uh, you don't understand. Let me explain this to you. He actually uh, confounds them a little more, right? Look at verse 53. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Well, I thought it was going to get a little easier, but uh, he just repeats what he said already. And he continues to do so. Look at verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Imagine the Jews right now. They're like, wait, wait, wait. You just said whoever believes has eternal life, but now you're saying whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. That's, that's different. Believing versus eating and drinking your, eating your flesh and drinking your blood. How do we go from believing to eating your flesh? Please explain. Remember verse 66. This is a hard saying. People turned away from Jesus because of this. This is not easy. But verse 54 really made me look at the Gospel of John. And I looked up everywhere Jesus talks about what it takes to have eternal life. He doesn't just say, sometimes he says believe, just believe. But he doesn't say every time, believe, just believe, just believe, just believe. We know that's what it takes, but he makes it specific. And I'm not going to say all of them, but I think it's important. I think it's worth mentioning a few. Back in John 3... Jesus says to Nicodemus, he says, who's a ruler of the law, by the way, knows the law like the back of his hand. Jesus says, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. Then he says, whoever believes in him has eternal life. You must be born again. Nicodemus is like, born again? I've got great status. I've got a great standing before God. I don't want to be, how do you, 
you tell me I have to re-enter my mother's womb? What, what are you talking about? To the woman at the well in John 4, Jesus says, Whoever drinks the living water that I give him will become in him a, sp- a spring welling up to eternal life. She's seeking water. He doesn't just say, believe in me, believe in me, believe in me. Even though he could have, it would have been perfectly right. He makes it specific. He says, I will give you eternal water. To the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. Anybody remember this one? What does he ask Jesus? Crickets. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What does Jesus say? Keep the commandments. What? I thought it was just all about believing. Jesus is getting at his heart. He says, I've kept all these commandments from my youth. What shall I do now? And Jesus, Jesus says this, go and sell everything you have. Jesus gets further to his heart. And then what does the text say? He walked away sad. Couldn't do it. Because for him, believing Jesus meant disowning his possessions. Leaving those for Jesus. And he wouldn't do it. To Peter, again in Matthew 19. Peter says, it says to Jesus, we've left everything. And Jesus says, all who, who leave houses and family for my name's sake will inherit eternal life. Again, he gets specific. In John chapter 10, he's just healed a blind person in John chapter 9. But Jesus in chapter 10, he says, those who hear my voice and follow me will have eternal life. So if you can't see, that's okay. You can still follow Jesus because you can hear his voice. And his sheep know his voice and they hear his voice and they follow him. And then here in John chapter 6, the Jews are talking about manna. All they want to talk about is manna and their fathers. And, you know, manna, they ate the manna and they were good. And Jesus says, they ate the manna and they died. I'm the bread of life. This bread will feed you forever. Jesus does this with the people he encounters specifically. He makes the gospel specific. He specifies how that belief changes and transforms the person. He gets at the heart. So Jesus here is not calling for cannibalism. He's speaking in metaphor. The Jews were were appealing to the manna that their fathers ate. And Jesus is saying, my father provided that. And though it nourished them for a little bit, they still died. But I have come, and I am the bread of life. And I will nourish you for eternity. My flesh and my blood are true food and true drink. In the truest sense of the word. By appealing to his flesh and blood, Christ He's calling us to look to his life and his death and his resurrection to find our true sustenance. Food that will sustain us forever. That's why he's talking about his flesh and blood. Because that's what he gave up for us. That's what was killed so that we may have life. So we're kind of now to this point that I like to call the so what point. Like, so what? what? What does this have to do with me? We talked about the Jews and their conversation with Jesus and their grumbling and their questions and Jesus' response. What, how does this have to do with me? Before we get to feeding on Christ, I want to just say a quick word and go back to, to the grumbling. The grumbling of the Jews was a result of their pride, their discontentment with the claims of Jesus as the bread of life because Jesus Christ didn't fit their narrative as a king. 
They grumbled because they only wanted to be associated with power and prestige and worldly status. They grumbled because, well, they, they liked their sin. They liked their self-righteousness, their self-promotion. Maybe those are reasons why we grumble, which reveal our pride and our selfishness and our discontentment with who we are and who God has made us to be and who God is. We become so blinded by our own sin that we're unable to see Jesus for who he really is, which is why we need to be reminded of God's word. We need directives sometimes from God's word, like feed on Jesus. It's why we need to remember his promises that whoever believes, verse 47, whoever believes has eternal life. So enough with the grumbling. How do we, maybe you're sitting there thinking, how, how do we feed, how do I feed on Christ? What does that even mean? I want to go back to the, to the analogy of the soldiers. As they eat before battle, do you think they sit there and think, hmm, how do I eat this food? Do I, I'm not really sure what to do. Do I, do I stare at it? Do I, do I just cut it up and put it in my mouth and spit it out? Do I smell it? They're not sitting there thinking, how do I eat this? They're thinking, this war is going to be intense and I better down this bacon and egg so I have some energy to fight the enemy. And I better bring some K rations and some C rations so I have some sustenance for today because I'm going to need it. And not only for today, but tomorrow and the next day. I think feeding on Jesus is a lot like that. It's a result of trusting and believing that His grace is enough. That He made a way for you. That just like the manna that came down from heaven and nourished the Israelites for a short time, even more so Jesus came down from heaven and nourishes us for eternity. Feeding on Jesus is realizing that you need him daily to stay alive, that you are dead set on his ability to sustain your soul despite any circumstance you may be facing, whether it's family related or a relationship that went south or a job that you're just not satisfied with, it's not providing enough for you. Or maybe it's a pandemic that's forcing us to change our routines and daily patterns. Every day, it's changing. Listen to this quote from, from Charles Spurgeon. He says, If you want to feed your soul upon Christ, you must think a great deal about Him. In fact, I just have that part on the screen, but he goes on to say this, You must not merely say by faith, Yes, Christ is my Savior. That is well so far as it goes. That truth will give you life, but you must also see who he was and what he was and what he did and why he did it and what he is doing and what he is doing now and what he has yet to do. Understand that Jesus, what he's saying here, it's, it's metaphorical, it's not literal. He's referring to his life, his death, his resurrection to the greatest truth in the world, the truth of the gospel, that we get to feed on that. And what does food and drink do for us? Physically speaking, what does it do for us? It nourishes us. We think about it, sometimes we get, I get too excited thinking about what my next meal is going to be, especially if it's going to be Chick-fil-A. Every time. How do I get excited every time for Chick-fil-A? I do, every time. This is another level. This is the bread of life. We don't need chicken. We just need the bread of life. When Jesus says, eat my flesh, he's speaking of his flesh that was 
that was whipped and pierced and spit on and stabbed by those who beat him and crucified him. When he says, eat my flesh, he's, he's, think, he's saying, think about my body that was laid in the tomb, dead for three days, but brought back to life by the Father. He's saying, remember when I talked to Thomas and he said, I don't believe you, Lord, unless you show me where the scars were. And Jesus says, here, you don't believe me? Put your fingers in my side. Touch my flesh. This is where they pierced me. Look at my hands. His flesh was crucified for your sins. His body was, was raised for your justification. And when Jesus says, drink my blood, he's saying, think about my scarlet blood that made your sins as white as snow. He's saying, think about my blood, my sweat drops of blood in the garden when I was in agony. And I was pleading with the Father that he would take his wrath from me. But he said, not my will, but yours be done. Think about the blood dripping from the thorns that were dug into his head while he was hanging on the cross. That blood, that's the blood that was poured out for you. That's the blood that he shed for you. The death and the resurrection of Jesus' flesh and his blood is what gives us life. So I say this, feed on him, seek his face, read his word, talk to him in prayer. As we close and the, the worship team comes forward before they lead us in a closing song, I want to give you some space to think on Christ. To think about what it may mean that Jesus is the bread of life to you. We see in the text that he's talking to the Jews. But that, that offer is for us. Jesus is our bread of life. Maybe you've never trusted upon Christ before. Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, I don't know about all this eating his flesh and drinking his blood stuff. This is kind of weird. But I pray that maybe for the first time, as the psalmist says in Psalm 34, that you would taste and see that the Lord is good. That his invitation is for you. His bread isn't like bread from a bakery that goes old after one day. There's always fresh bread. Maybe you're sitting there and you, and you do follow Christ. You claim Christ. But maybe you've been feeding on all the wrong food. Maybe you've been feeding on the stale bread that this culture uh, offers. Maybe you've been feeding on the molded bread of idolatry or greed or pride or politics. Or maybe it's something else. That food will not satisfy us. It won't satisfy you. Search no more than what Jesus says in this text. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. So I invite you to just sit and reflect. Chris and the team are going to lead us in song in just a moment. But I just want you to reflect. What's your K ration? What's your C ration? What are you feeding on? We need Him daily. We need to eat daily. We need to eat more than once a day. He makes us alive, but He also keeps us alive. He 
nourishes us and strengthens us for the daily battle against sin. But we know that he's defeated sin and death and Satan. He's defeated him already through his resurrection. And he's inviting us to feed on him, to feed on the bread of life. So I invite you this morning, feed on Jesus and your soul will be glad. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, would you open our eyes? If you haven't already, open them even more to the truth found in your word, to the truth found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. On our behalf, that while we were dead in our sins and trespasses, God, you made us alive through Christ. It's only by grace through faith that we can come to you feed on you reflect on what you've done for us God would you make this this text make your word real to us God sanctify us in your truth your word is truth reveal to us Lord the idols of our hearts Reveal to us where we need to repent and confess. Say, Lord, take me away from those desires. Take those idols away from me. So that we can be the witnesses that you've called us to be. Witnesses of your glory, your majesty, your grace, your truth. God, lead us as we go forth from this place. Even as we sing, make it real to us. Thank you for your spirit that guides us in all wisdom and truth. Thank you for your spirit who dwells in us. Thank you for your love, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.